All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and get started since we're running a bit late. Um, and I'm just going to get real and messy from the beginning because that is where I am right now. I want to read you the first line of this talk that I wrote for you all um, several weeks ago. I want to read you the first line. It says, I'm going to break with tradition for me and not open this talk with a story about diarrhea. Um, that has changed because I arrived here a couple days ago, um, called home to my husband and two boys in Sydney, and Jason said, the boys and I are sick. We've had some issues. And he went ahead and told me what those were. And some of you know that three years ago, when I talked here, I made it to Hamilton, but the rest of the night spent running to the bathroom, and that figured heavily into my talk. I don't want to get too much more graphic than that, except to say that um, I know we have some Mockingbird t-shirts for sale, and I thought maybe we could um, personalize those, and um, some suggestions I have are uh, Mockingbird makes me sick, <laughs> or Mockingbird come for the come for the grace, stay for the diarrhea. Those are just some ideas I have. So um, if we can make it through this next 30 minutes or so without any incidents, um, I think we can all consider that a miracle. So um, I was in my bathroom the other day though, and for the first time I noticed my husband's deodorant. Now, He's not here this year, so I could make a joke about how it was the first time I noticed it because he never wears any, but I think I've already thrown him under the bus enough today, so I won't. But um, I noticed the brand name of it specifically because like a lot of our products now, it's Australian, and so it's new to us. And it's called Lynx, L-Y-N-X, like the wildcat. And the particular scent was Anarchy. So his deodorant is apparently supposed to smell like a tiger over overthrowing a government or the energy of that or something. I'll show you a tiny little picture of it if it comes up. So um, this sort of pissed me off because I already know the names of my own feminine products, right? Things like carefree. And this deodorant they have in Australia called Mum, which that's sexy. And a product called Olivia. I kid you not. Who would name a tampon Olivia? <laughs> and the thing that really pissed me off was that I have some of these products and packaging that can only be described as the law writ in cursive for ladies because it has little encouragements on it, like explore, care for those you love, dreams happen, be amazing, and my personal favorite, draw something. <laughs> I ask you, why does my husband get to apply deodorant that smells like overthrowing a regime, while I have to, once a month, pretend to be some bitch named Olivia who <laughs> you know is running through a field of wildflowers in a white dress because that is what the commercials tell us. Olivia never makes a mess. Olivia has dreams. 
that come true. Olivia never burns her kids' chicken nuggets. Meanwhile, I'm the one who should get to be the anarchist because the only thing I feel like drawing that time of the month are most average weekdays is a weapon on anyone who tells me to be amazing. In fact, this would be a more accurate portrayal of me. What if you could have your period just once a year? My period? Once a year? Once a year? I'd like that. New Annual extends the time between your period by 11 months. How does it work? Each Annual pack has 44 weeks of active pills instead of the usual three, keeping you on a constant stream of hormones so your time of the month can be just once a year. That's all I have time for. And when it is time for your period, hold on to your f***ing hat. Do not take annual if you plan to ever become pregnant, as it may turn your baby into a fire monster. In the days of laundry period, you may develop a leathery tail. Annual may cause you to develop a second vagina. Notify authorities in your town when your period is imminent, as they may want to incarcerate you preemptively like a wolfman. Ask your doctor if annual is right for you. And if she says it is, go to a store, buy a hat, and get ready to hold that onto it. <laughs> We're not kidding. Annual, once a year, period. Oh, that's a play on words. I just got that. Shut up! Oh, here it comes! <laughs> okay. All right, so I'm not about to deliver a feminist manifesto here, but I do want to talk about the expectations placed on us, men and women, people, that serve as projections of who we're supposed to be and what we're meant to look like. Our best selves, if you will. Society does it. The church does it. The environments in which we were raised do it, our parents, hometowns, families. And with social media not going anywhere, things aren't trending away from these capsule images of our best selves. For my part, I was raised in a conservative, mostly Christian household. I remember my dad having subscriptions to the Holy Trifecta, National Review, American Spectator, and the Weekly Standard. And I wanted to be a part of that world, to connect with him, and to be knowledgeable about the world of politics. I would take the back issues from his home office and try to read them, but they made no sense. You can insert your own joke here. So I'd always end up gravitating toward the National Review's comic page. At least there were pictures. But being about 10 years old, I didn't understand that either. So I decided on another path to an esteemed identity. I would create my own magazine. Since I knew nothing of politics, I decided to write to the only audience beneath me, younger children. And I created the idea for a magazine called Candyland. I wasn't very original. And I decided it would have a joke page since I couldn't draw. 
And my first issues joke page had this joke on it. Have you heard the one about Gorbachev? And this is so embarrassing because it not only reveals my age, but it's just really, really terrible. Has anyone heard the one about Gorbachev? Does anyone know the punchline to that joke? Yeah, me neither. Apparently, I hadn't heard the one about Gorbachev because I never came up with an answer to that question. And so the whole joke page and entire Candyland venture folded as soon as it began. Just like all my other self-formed identities. Because this was the beginning of two solid decades of, tr of my trying to forge an identity and, in the process, pretending to be someone I was not. The bulk of my pretending, in fact, didn't stop because I had a moment of bravery or some huge epiphany, but because it all eventually fell apart and the jig was very much up. I don't think we ever fully stop pretending to be our idea of our best selves, and social media just extends our opportunities. But I do know that my own epic scale productions were broken by a few death blows sponsored by Grace. There was the perfect student and rule follower persona who was ruined by grad school failings. My purity ring good girl persona who was brought down when guys actually began paying attention to her. And more recently, there was the blessed destruction of the mother I had planned to be, a faux identity wiped clean by the reality of raising kids with all their attending challenges and refusal to read the parenting books I used for research prior to their births starting with the ones about sleeping. And I still catch myself pretending. The other day I drove by our local cinema and saw that they were having a French film festival. And almost as quickly as I thought to myself, you should book a ticket for that. I also thought, you saw Amelie 18 years ago and now you think you're a cinematic Francophile? You like French fries. You don't like French films. You don't even know French films. And there was another time recently when my non-deodorant-wearing husband and I were out with friends and had a few drinks. And the next day, Jason tells me, you know you agreed to go camping last night, right? <laughs> and I thought back and I said, no, no way, I don't camp. And he said, well, you do after a few glasses of champagne, apparently. But you get to the point after the death blows where Band-Aids don't work where if you go to another typical women's Bible study that is really just a front for behavior modification and gossip, you will barf all over everyone's Troy Birch flats. Where chipper Christianity can't fix everything, self-help rings hollow, and one more misinterpreted description of the Proverbs 31 woman will make you go all annual on someone's ass. Enter Rachel Hollis. I want to be clear that I'm not here to bash women. I am here to bash crappy messages that run completely counter to the gospel while trying to remain connected to it for marketing purposes. So I'll start with what the New York Times wrote. Before 8 a.m. each day, Rachel Hollis, the motivational speaker and best-selling author of Girl, Wash Your Face, works out feeds her four children ages 2, 6, 10, and 12, and writes in her gratitude journal. Then it's time for her morning show, a live broadcast on Instagram and Facebook 
for her nearly three million followers, sometimes featuring her husband, Dave. The day only picks up speed from there. Ms. Hollis, 36, maintains a popular lifestyle website and runs a media company, which she recently moved from Los Angeles to the greater Austin area. On any given morning, she may be taping one of her two podcasts, jetting off to a speaking engagement, or headlining one of her own personal growth conferences. And I recently read that she is starting her own clothing line, so be on the lookout for that. I'm so tired just reading that that I need a nap. And later in the article, Hollis says this. One of the things the book has been attacked for is, you say that anyone can kind of pull themselves up by the bootstraps and go. That's just not true for everyone, and I disagree. I just, to the marrow of my bones, I disagree, because there are too many people living in opposition of that belief. I moved to LA, left a crappy childhood, got three jobs, and worked really freaking hard. And I'm not saying everybody has the same opportunities. I'm not saying everybody has the same resources. Of course they don't. But you, meaning the public, buying into the idea that it can't happen for you because of what your life looks like right now doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve you. That's the hill I'll die on, she said. The agency in this message is placed squarely on ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I have proven myself incapable time and time again of getting myself out of the pits I've dug or trying hard enough to do better and be better and be enough. I am tired and I am not going to be saved by someone yelling in my ear like a boot camp instructor to be my best Olivia and just draw something and wash my face. I don't need a clean face. I need resuscitation. Aside from that very big issue though, some of this seems harmless. I have friends who follow Hollis who have been to her conferences and listened to her podcasts and they don't take her message as gospel truth. They just see it as motivation toward more positive living. And what's the harm in that, right? What's the harm in Pinterest accounts full of farmhouse sinks and Instagram fashionistas and lifestyle influencers? Why am I so negative when people just want nice things to look at and lives to aspire to? I listened recently to a podcast called Broken Hearts. Maybe you heard it. It was about an unconventional family in the Pacific Northwest made up of two white moms and their six adopted African-American children. One of the moms worked in retail management and the other stayed home with the kids and ran the family's social media accounts, same, where she posted inspirational content about the power of love in their beautiful family of eight and garnered a large following. But behind the scenes, a different story unfolded. The kids showed up to school and neighbors' homes with bruises and complaints of abuse. They said they were often sent to bed without eating all day, and Child Protective Services looked in on them several times. In March of last year, the story ended horribly when a van driven by one of the moms and carrying the entire family plummeted off a cliff in Southern California. Since then, a coroner's inquest found the crash to have been intentional and the children's deaths were ruled to be homicides at the hands of their parents. 
So the podcast not only covered the facts of this tragedy, but it also delved deeply into the heart's social media presence. You may have even seen this picture of Devante, one of the kids, hugging a white police officer at a Charlottesville Black Lives Matter rally. Jen, the stay-at-home half of the couple, spent the bulk of her time on the web, either engaging in video games with her online community or posting to social media. She presented the world with a highly curated version of their lives that just didn't match up to the reality. And this is obviously a tragic and extreme story, but I doubt all the elements of it are singular. Gordon Bowles is my former counselor, and he married my husband and me. And he wrote these words recently that I think speak so specifically to the cultural moment we're in right now. He talks about the difference between self-esteem and self-acceptance, and he says this about self-esteem. If your sense of self is dependent on your performance and how you interpret it, your weaknesses are going to be a problem. If my ability to have confidence in navigating the world was based on my assessment of myself, I would have to withdraw from human community to retain a sense of self. This is what often happens when an individual is the source of their confidence. They have to isolate or find a community where most everyone is like them or will not uncover their weakness. I would argue that if you become confident in yourself and your abilities without seeing and accepting your weaknesses, then a vast majority of your energy, although likely unrecognized, will be expended to hide from what is true. He goes on, self-acceptance naturally moves you outside yourself. Your grounding in this world does not begin and end with you. You have both strengths and weaknesses you don't exemplify with perfection. It is that gap of imperfection, i.e. being human, that makes you want to turn away from your need for others. You must welcome the gap of imperfection because it leads you outside yourself. That gap is where you need the gospel. That gap is where you need the gospel, he writes. Not where you need curation or hiding or facades. And this is the danger of embracing facades as reality, of expecting them to be life-giving. When we look only at the surface, at the face of things, and take it as the whole, without allowing nuance or complexity or flaws. It's just, this is calling a lie the truth. It's escapist and it can be dangerous. But it's also sad because it causes us to miss out on the more that telling the truth brings. At the commiseration over shared failures and the laughter over incompetencies and the tears over tragedy. At the connections the ways we can fit together in our strengths and weaknesses and cover for each other as the gospel, not filters, fills in the gaps. When we look to people as inspirations to aspire to rather than equals to sit beside, we throw away all opportunity of deeper connection. Now, why would we do that? I don't know Rachel Hollis, but I would bet good money that underneath all the lights and acclaim and filters, she is terrified of all of that going away. Because we're all afraid. Afraid of being exposed, of not being enough, of being seen in our worst moments. 
we especially can't stand to be confronted with the worst versions of ourselves. The racist tendencies, the 3 a.m. dark thoughts sponsored by anxiety and exhaustion, that time we hit a car and didn't leave a note, who we actually voted for in the last election. This is all really depressing, right? We're not horrible people. We just like good filters and farmhouse sinks and inspiring memes. Am I suggesting we stop wearing deodorant, close the fantasy real estate tabs on our laptops, put a moratorium on Gorbachev jokes, and post pit stains on Instagram? Are those the takeaways here? Should we take our cue from the newest Lego movie song called Everything's Not Awesome? The lyrics say, everything's not awesome. Everything's not cool. I am so depressed. Everything's not awesome. Whoa, I think I finally get Radiohead. <laughs> Everything's not awesome. Things can't be awesome all of the time. It's not a realistic expectation. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to make everything awesome in a less likely, unrealistic kind of way. We should maybe aim for not bad, because not bad, well, that would be real great. No, I don't think that's the answer either. But I think this video may have the right idea. All right, so I'm putting on my top sheet and everyone has their own little secret to it. So I'm just gonna show you my little trick. Learned it from my mom, learned it from my grandma. So here it is. So you put the two on here, you put the two on here and then you just take, you take the corner right from there and this part's super easy. You just, you, oh, you just, and that's it. You just, okay. <laughs> and you just hurl your whole body. Come on, <laughs> you, you son of a bitch, get on the bed. And it's so simple. All you do is whip every part of your body, okay? All right, I fucking hate this, okay? All right, you just get it, okay? Get it on, okay? All right, okay? All right, and then, and then you only have, if that's, and then it just snaps back, and you take a nap in it. Um, and then you curl up, and just like that, and you give right up and you give up. There you go. There you have it. There I go. Okay, off the bed. Off the bed. <laughs> okay. Simple as that. My takeaway? Let's just give up. We can't even control fitted sheets or our New Year's resolution lists or our tempers, much less the important stuff. Let's give up and rest. But seriously, what would that look like? First, I want to show you what it would not look like. Wake up. It's a new day. It's a new week. And if you choose it, it's a new life. You get to decide right now who you want to be. You get to choose in this moment how you want to show up in the world. Believe that you're worth it. Believe that you can. Believe that you're capable of whatever you set your mind to. Ask yourself, how would the best version of me live out this day? Waking up an hour earlier and using that time for yourself, using that time to work on your goal, you have time. You're just spending it doing something else. Success is about choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Imagine it in detail. See yourself eating the way the best version of you would, staying hydrated. If you are not taking care of your physical body, there is a 0% chance that you're gonna become the version of yourself you wanna be. Working out, dressing, speaking to others, looking for blessings throughout the day, the way the best version of yourself would do it. 
You are creating your reality right now. You are the only person who is in charge of what happens next. You've got to stop procrastinating. You've got to embrace right now, and you've got to fire yourself up to propel yourself to the future. You need to own what you do. You need to own what you do. See yourself in detail and map out the day in your mind. If you cannot be the person you want to be right now, in this second, right now, if you can't make the decision right now, in this moment, you don't have a why that's strong enough. And if you don't have a why that's strong enough right now, you won't have a why that's strong enough on Monday. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Don't leave today's version of you to a random chance. Choose who you want to be. Choose how you want to be. Then live today accordingly. I don't know about y'all, but I feel harassed and yelled at. Um, I, who knew? We, we just need to stay hydrated. That was the secret. Here is something else, though. The man in this last video does not purport to be a Christian. He is, a, however, a purveyor of top-notch diarrhea and fart jokes on Twitter, a comedian and the co-creator of a hilarious show called Catastrophe. He's also the father of four sons, one of whom died about a year ago at the age of two after a protracted battle with a brain tumor. This is Rob Delaney. I can't even look you in the eyes because okay. I feel so sad. And I wouldn't want to, see, that's the thing, I wouldn't want to burden you with extra pain. Not a burden. But you see what I mean? It's like... Well, see, now I've learned that my capacity for pain is so much greater Fuck than I yeah. ever thought possible, yeah. right? So... Like, great things to say. Okay, there was one, um, one of Henry's night carers was from Nigeria. I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but she sure wasn't British or American. And when I told her that Henry's tumor had returned and that he was going to die, yeah. she started screaming, oh, Jesus Christ, oh, Jesus Christ. And I almost started laughing. I was like, thank you, yes. Yeah. She's scream it from the rooftops. My, my beautiful baby boy is going to die. I want people to fucking scream. So that was the, so much better than so many responses. And, like, there is nothing that anyone can say. Yeah. Words mean nothing to me anymore. I know I've used a lot of them this evening, but uh, I'm not trying to put a verbal Band-Aid on anyone's grief. Mm. That's impossible. So you can also kind of relax if you know someone who's that, because there is nothing you yeah. can say that will fix it. You should acknowledge it, you know. Um, and yeah, I, so that's another thing about grief. A sort of metaphor that I've kind of developed is that like in the like rainbow of emotions that we feel in life, I still have the other ones. I still have red, blue, indigo for some reason, purple, whatever. Um, but now there's a band of black in there that was not there before. Yeah. And, and so that's a part of my life now, is that black, why wouldn't it be? Yeah. I try not to hate it. Um, so do you accept being in the black, or do you try and get out? I do try to, yeah, because... I loved Henry. I love him today. I remain his father. And the reason that it hurts so much is because of how much I love him. Mm. You know, grief and love 
are really weaved together. Um, so I should be sad right now. What is what is next? Well, uh, first of all, congratulations on um, the new baby. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, you know, regarding the new baby, um, I was afraid when he was born. I looked at him and I was like, "I'll love you," um, but I don't know if I'm gonna be able to. You know, I'll do the stuff. I'll change your nappies. I'll take you to school. I'll yeah. buy you food, trousers, etc. But am I going to really surrender to really feeling the feelings for you oh, that you, I should? That and was going uh, through your head. Jeez. Yeah, and I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be. I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to. Yeah. And uh, he took. He took. He made short work of me by being so fucking cute and wonderful. <laughs> He's so funny and fat, and <laughs> and he laughs. Holy shit! He laughs so much. It's. We should probably take him to a doctor. I mean, it's. <laughs> what does he laugh? What's so funny? I am crazy about him. Thank God. Yeah. You know. And I think about him growing in the same womb as Henry. This is nuts. I had a dream the other night that Henry left a message for him in my wife's womb, and it was like a little. It was like a little picture frame oh, hung no. on like a little nail. Yeah, yeah. Henry nailed it into her uterus. Uh, anyway. <laughs> And I couldn't read it. It wasn't for me to read, but I knew that our new baby saw that, and I woke up, and it made me feel happy. Um, so, uh, you know, you know, I don't know. I guess that's one way of, of my psyche wrestling with everything that's happened. It's um, fucking beautiful. Thanks. <clears throat> and I'll be thinking about what that message was all night. I know, right? Yeah. I think we all will. Yeah. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. For coming Thank you on. very much. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure, mate. Ladies and gentlemen, the wonderful Rob Delaney. So one of those videos made me tired and the other one brings every part of my heart to life. Authenticity is a big word these days that I feel has been co-opted and misused. See also Proverbs 31. But I think when you remove the filter and take off the mask, it looks a lot like this. Delaney still makes top-notch fart jokes on Twitter, like this one. But he is unflinchingly honest about pain. And that's the hill I want to die on and live for all the parts of the story, and for a love that is big enough for every version of me. Grace is the story written by a God who is defined by his love for us, who made every provision for us up to and beyond death itself, so that there is never a worst case scenario or version of ourselves that is beyond him or his presence. There is pain and grief and joy and hope. There is everything, and we can give up trying to be our best selves because he loves every version of us. I love this awful and wonderful story that Delaney told, especially because I found out recently that the literal Hebrew translation for womb is mercy and compassion. And that's what I stake my life on. Not a boot camp leader and not myself, but a God of compassion. And we are ultimately at his mercy the mercy of one who leaves notes scattered everywhere for us that sound like this. 
But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, he who formed you. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And that kind of note and all the other ones like it, they're not to-do lists. They're love letters. Thanks, guys.